MNK Talk YA now presents Glass Sword Part 1 from the Red Queen series by Victoria Aviard. everyone to another episode of M&K Talk YA. I'm Katie Bradford. And I'm Marissa Snyder. And this week we are welcome to our young adult fiction podcast. I forgot how we do this. This is so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This week we read the first half of Glass Castle. Glass Sword. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Should we just start over? (laughs) Oh it's been a long week guys. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's a long book. So we read up to chapter 16, and it's the second book in the Red Queen series. We're halfway through, almost. Things have changed. Things have changed a lot, and how do you feel about them? Because I have some strong feelings. About the fact that they've changed, or what they currently are? Or both? Both. I'm glad things have changed, because I like change, but I'm also... (laughs) feeling like in some ways it's kind of slow which sounds weird because I feel like so much has happened yeah but I also feel like like I felt like the next step was to go and find these I guess we're what are we calling them mixed bloods or new bloods new bloods um like I kind of knew that was the next strategic plan and it's just taken so long to even find one of them so far <laughs> yeah and I just feel like okay I was just listening to one of um Brandon Sanderson's lectures he gives a lot of lectures on like writing fantasy and sci-fi and one of his the lectures that I was listening to was how to keep your story interesting in the middle Mm -hmm. and he said like a lot of times he'll read books where something has to happen and you have to get there but you like lose your reader in the middle and I feel like Victoria Aviard lost me in the middle it's just, it's interesting because I feel like she's done a lot, like, the setting keeps changing, so that's good. Yeah. We're learning more about the Red Guard and how big it is, which is good. Yeah. We we kind of are seeing, like, I feel like a lot of the elements are there, but I, I agree with you. There's, like, this feeling of, like, okay, but now what? Yeah, and, like, we have, I know we have to find all the new bloods, and now it's just, like, going from town to town trying to find new bloods, and... I'm just not as invested as I was in the first book. And I started out loving the first book so much. And now I just feel like we're kind of being strung along. Like we have to hit certain points before we get somewhere. And I'm not really enjoying the journey. And I wonder how much of that is because we haven't really had a run-in with our enemy yet. That's true. Yeah, Maven's just this like distant figure now who is doing bad things behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm like so curious about what is going on back in the silver society that we left behind and I'm not invested enough Mm -hmm. in this kind of new world especially because it's mostly for the most part the same characters we're getting to know her brother right um and we're kind of seeing other characters I guess but not to the level that we knew people in Red Queen that we are missing right now yeah like I miss Julian I do too so do we think he's alive I think he is and do we think he's in trouble yes for sure. <laughs> and what do we think is half, like? Why did they not kill him? I feel like they're keeping him alive for a a bad reason. I don't know what the reason is, but I feel like 
they're keeping him because they know they can use him as leverage against Mare and possibly Cal. Mm -hmm. Trying to use him somehow. Yeah. One thing I do like, except it's almost happening so much that I'm getting bored of it or starting to expect it, is that this whole idea of every anyone can betray anyone or whatever mm-hmm. and seeing I can't pronounce his name, Kill Kills Killorn. Killorn. Uh we think turn on Mare when she when he puts her right. into the cage and then seeing in this most recent version sort of their gang ally, the smugglers. We're actually the mariners. Um, the mariners were planning a yeah. turn, or mariners were planning to turn them in. But it's almost like everyone's turning on everyone so much that it's not even like a shock value anymore. Right. It was really the first one was really great when Kilorn like pretends to drop the boxes of syringes and then he stabs the colonel in the neck. Like that was a great scene. I was very surprised by that. Yep. But now you're right. It's kind of like we've seen that trick before. Fool me once, you know, it's getting yeah. too obvious. And I think to your point, I just want to meet so, – like, I'm interested in these new bloods, and I want to, like, see what all they can do, see what motivates that – like, get a new cast of characters or see the bat – like, see more of the conflict of the the bigger conflict. Like, we're seeing her run into issues. It's not that there's no issues, but it's it's just not the same as the king, the king trying to execute you. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a letdown after that. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's. It just feels like not as high stakes. Or even like evangel. Like some. Just there are so many interesting, even bad characters in the first book. It's just yeah. like I don't really care about the secondary characters in this one yet. And I mean, maybe we will grow to because I mean, the Colonel is kind of an interesting villain. I like how he's. We find out that he's Farley's dad. Yep. And also, we find out that I was complaining about Farley's name. <laughs> um, and we find out that's not really her name. Her name is Diana. Yeah, so is, that, Diane. so is that her last name or is that just a nickname? Farley? It's her last name. Okay. Yeah, because it's um, Colonel Farley is, is the okay. um, commander's name. Yeah. Okay. I, I like that about her too, but I don't even feel like we know the Colonel. Like, I get that he tried to stop her and doesn't trust them, but like, I don't even care about him enough yet to be more curious about him does that make sense yes and it also i don't know it's just they're on the run they're like underground they have this like new secret task force that's trying to you know it's like this new militant group that's trying to find all these new bloods and it feels it feels a lot like the hunger games the third book Mm -hmm. you know because they have this it's all about the resistance they have this resistance army that's you know fighting against the silvers and it's kind of reminds me of like when it the third book in the hunger games when they were all just in district 13 trying to gather what they need yeah supplies mm-hmm. and launch their attack and that was like the worst book in the hunger games for me i just got really bored mm-hmm. and i feel like that's what this book is i think it's such a fine line too because sometimes they like brush over that stuff too much and i'm like how did they get there but that's when like a time gap mm-hmm. actually does make sense yes yeah I don't know. I read um, in one of the interviews that I read with Victoria, she was talking about how writing a sequel, because Red Queen is her first published book, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, she's talking about the difference between writing a second book versus writing the first book and how she had to like throw in enough references to the first book if someone hadn't read it all or, oh. you know, whatever. Or just like give a summary. Yeah. yeah. Or had, had, hadn't read it in a long time, you know, kind of remind people who people are. And I'm sure this happens in every series that we've done. But because I had just read that interview, I feel like I was more aware when they would be like, Julian, 
who, by the way, gave me this. I mean, it wasn't quite that, but you know, like, like just seeing some of those throwbacks to ever since like insert brief description of like five chapters in the previous book here. Um, And so that that was kind of funny to like notice this time, but also to be like, yeah, if I wasn't literally starting this book the day after I finished the other one, I could get confused about Nate. You know, if I had waited till a year later when it came out, like these are, I think she did it well, but it was just funny because I was so much more aware of it than I think I normally am. Because I read her interview. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think um, I also, we're not getting a lot of information about why the New Bloods exist. Like, we're not, like, that was another kind of, it was interesting to learn that she's not the only one. But now we know that. And I, like, want to know more history on, I feel like the the first book was a lot about her identity and, like, you know, how did she come to be and what does it mean and how does she play into this silver red world and blah, blah, blah. And now I feel like we're not having that kind of identity crisis the same way. She's really kind of come into her own and with her power. Mm-hmm. And she's not the only one. There's more of them. But we're not really asking the questions of why, why how. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm that's why I'm kind of thinking that Julian maybe knows the answer to that. And that's why... They're keep not only is Maven keeping him alive, but I think the author is keeping him alive because I think he has more answers to share. Um, and it always is frustrating when you want to have answers to questions and they don't get they don't get answered. Sometimes they never get answered. Um, yeah, I've come across yeah. that before too often. But um, I we we still do have you know a lot left of this series, so I'm hoping that we learn some answers and it gets a little bit more exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, we are learning, like, there is some cool technology, you know, we have, like, the Snapdragon fighter planes, they have the submarines that they're using now to get around, but it's also, like, I feel like we already know what submarines and fighter planes are, and it's, like, really new and exciting to Mare, because she's, like, never seen this stuff before. And her connection to the electronics of it all is kind of cool. But yeah, no, I agree. It's like, wow, you're in the air. Whoop de Yeah, like... (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, we know what a submarine is. I mean, to her, it's super new and exciting. But, like, I almost wish that, I don't know, if it was in the future, they had different kinds of technology. You know, like, in Red Rising, they had really interesting technology. Grab you know, they had and yeah, razors and, and, yeah. And punch face boots or whatever. They had so many <laughs> weird things that were really interesting to get to know. And now I just feel like it's everything we've seen before and it's not as intriguing to the readers. Yeah, it's it's not even what we know plus a little extra. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, oh, I really did like some of the extra powers that we're seeing now, like the Banshee. Yeah. That was really cool. Like that one kid they meet who has the Banshee scream who makes her go deaf whenever he's, he, that's like his power. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really like the Silent Stone, how their cow is being kept in the underwater prison and then yep. Killorn throws Mare into prison with him when he's pretending to betray her. And they have that silent stone, which like blocks their powers. So that was like a cool concept. And I'm really interested in the Scarlet Guard and how they're organized across the different countries. Like I like that it's getting mm-hmm. bigger in that sense. It's not just like a ragtag team of rebels. It's like seems much more organized and much more, uh, it's not like a national rebellion. It's like truly a... Yeah. People trying to free themselves. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I I like that, but I just feel like we're learning things slowly. Piece by piece, because we see that the Resistance, the Red, the Scarlet Guard does have a lot of resources that we didn't know about, like 
Mare is really surprised about all the resources they have, so we know that there are actually a ton of other countries fighting with them. And I'm curious to see how big it gets. Yeah. And even we saw, I mean, in this town that they're currently in, or the city, they had hung up a bunch of the Scarlet Guard people that they rounded up and identified. But hearing that they had been the ones who had kind of like kept the peace and enforced their own set of rules. Like I just, I feel like it's, it felt really more local or regional or like it was just starting and now we're getting more of a sense of it really is like a lot bigger than this. And I'm, I'm actually kind of curious how she's the first new blood to be identified. Like I kind of hope we come across a group of new bloods who've already like realized that they're special. And, oh, that would be interesting. You know what I mean? Like even if they haven't joined the rebellion or something, but like maybe she convinces them or maybe she doesn't, but like the the first guy they got, obviously he knew he was impenetrable. Oh yeah. And how his um his superpower is like he can't be touched. Like he's completely invincible. Nick Marston, yeah. Cuz otherwise he probably wouldn't have charged at someone like he did and whatnot but yeah I, I yeah it's just I want to know how their powers are identified and developed I think I just have so many like I was excited to meet more new bloods and get more of a taste of like what does it mean to be a red with special powers if you don't know that there's others like you how do you hide it and protect yourself how do you use it like I just have all these questions about them and I was actually kind of excited to go and see them in different parts of our of the world to like expand the world for us but I feel like we haven't really seen a ton of that yet well I feel like most of them would be really afraid to reveal that they had superpowers because the silvers are are presented as such a terrible enemy like I feel like they would be afraid to reveal that they had anything in common with them because I mean I would be afraid of how my people would react I mean think about when Mare showed her family for the first time that was her family and her friend and they like freaked out and it's understandable But but also like how hard would it be to keep that a secret, especially if you're like indestructible and you can't be harmed? And he was a soldier. Mm-hmm. Like surely people would notice. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. How how much do you fake it, or how do you, mm-hmm. or how do you protect yourself and hide it? I also am kind of intrigued because we have the list of names and Maven does not, but he knows that the blood bank is the. Doesn't he already know how to get the list of names? Like that next day and I think he did because remember they go to find um Walliver Galt and he's already been hung so I think Maven does have their name but didn't they say to just spend an hour or something like that yeah like I sort of feel like if it was four days later when they finally got out to start collecting people that would be more realistic yeah unless they're hard to find like I'm curious now I'm like okay let's go see I want some kind of interaction with Maven or to know what he's been doing the last four days or something yeah, that would be. It would be nice to have like a check in with him, mm-hmm. like from the opposite side instead of always staying from the point of view of the protagonists. That's a good point. Or maybe just more silvers because Cal is on our side for the time being, and we know it could potentially be temporary. But we're not interacting with any silvers really right now. And I feel like right. one of the things I liked about the first book was seeing that the enemy wasn't always the enemy, mm-hmm. and I don't think we've really gotten that piece of it in this book either. Right, because the only silver we have right now is Cal. Yeah. And I do like, I really do like his character a lot. You know, I like how he's kind of has this loose alliance right now with the Reds, and he is always telling them, like, don't be sure of my like alliance with you because I am not really fighting on your side. Like, I'm joined with you against Maven, but that is the limit of my 
allegiance. Yeah. And I'm curious what that means when, it, like, when that will be really put to the test. Yeah, when push comes to shove. Yep. I don't know. Well, I think it's hard because I think he is slowly starting to fall in love with Mare. Yes, I agree. So that will be a big challenge. And he's also, I mean, I think in the same way that Mare started to see that not all silvers were bad, I feel like he's got to see just by nature of being around these Reds who are fighting for something that they truly believe in, who he did identify at one point as his responsibility when he was going to be king. Um, Like, I think he could be swayed, but not just randomly. Like, more has to happen to sway him effectively to their side for real yeah i agree I just, i'm curious to know what it will be yeah or it'll, it'll be just like a slow burn of many things that finally convinces him to join the cause for good yeah and he just has to deal with i mean he lost everything so unexpectedly i don't even think he's fully processed that yet like he's not in a place to join a That's new true. cause yet he really does just have to kind of mourn what he's lost to some extent and be angry at his brother and you know, let that rage play out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And just deal with the trauma. Because that was, I mean, being forced to kill your own dad with your own hand. I don't think you bounce back from that very quickly. One of the things I do like, though, is Cal has a non-silver power in some ways, because he, he's so good with like the tinkering and the invent, you know, like that kind of um, mechanical, he's got like a mechanical inclination that's not mm-hmm. ability related. Mare has yeah. her quick hands from being a pit pocket and quick feet, you know, being able to get around mm-hmm. like that. I actually, I'm kind of curious. I was hoping that in some situation their powers are turned off either by a silver or jail or whatever, and they have to use their normal quote unquote abilities or something. I think that could be kind of cool. That would be interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like when. Arvin was there. Was that his yep. name? The guy, the silencer, when he like turned off Mare's power and she just kind of had to like figure it out. Yeah, but own. really her solution was let me kill the guy. I mean, it it wasn't a yeah. bad, I really like that solution, but I just like, I'm kind of curious to see them not rely on their powers if that ever happens at some point. Huh. Yeah, that'd be interesting. And it's kind of interesting to see um, Killorn's reaction to Mare not being a new blood. I like, I have so many questions about where his head's at right now and what Killorn? Yeah. yeah. What he's end goal is. <laughs> uh, at the end when Wallover Gulp was hung, I was certain it was Killorn. Oh really? Cause remember like when they're leading her out and they're they like him. and he's mm-hmm. like, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ooh, oh my god, they got Killorn. And and it's it's kind of bad for him too because he's in a situation where like he doesn't have any powers. And he's up against Mare and Cal, who both do, but he's still part of the resistance. And, like, he's a fisherman's apprentice. He's not extremely valuable. He's not extremely useful. He doesn't bring a lot of skills to the table. And I think at one point even Mare is questioning, like, is he going to be hurting us more than he's going to be helping us? And are we risking his life unnecessarily? Yeah. But she's trying so hard to protect him all the time. I think he's going to surprise her sort of like he did when he actually helped her escape with Cal. Yeah, that's true. Cause he, that's true, because he did make that whole... He, he did, like, pretend to betray her pretty well and did get them out of the prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure how much of that was Farley's plan versus his... Like, I yeah. just... I think that there's... I think he has a secret, too. Not a secret ability, like, in the magical sense, but a secret, like... I think he has more to offer, and he's being overlooked right now, and I'm curious to see when he shares that or if he really is just a liability (laughs) yeah or if he'll surprise us 
Yeah. I bet he will because I'm const- I'm guilty of that. I'm constantly underestimating him too. But mm-hmm. my, okay, I'm gonna make a prediction, and this isn't the thing that was spoiled okay. for me. I'm gonna predict that Keylorn does not make it out alive at the end of the day or at the end of this book. At the end of the day. Okay. At the end of the series. And second prediction, I also think that Shade and Farley or Diana um, is they're going to get together. That's my prediction. Okay. I don't hate that. <laughs> I don't really have any good predictions right now. Usually I've got a lot of like crazy theories and I don't know why yeah. I'm like, I don't even, I, I don't know if it's just because, so I told you this. I don't remember if I've told our listeners yet because I'm partially brain dead, but I literally finished reading this half of the book like an hour ago. So usually I have more time to let it sink in before we start talking. <laughs> Um, this is the closest I've cut it so far, but yeah, I don't have any really great predictions right now. I think because it's just so slow, like I'm sort of like, how do we have two and a half more books unless it's like we actually are going around town to town and picking up new bloods and then training them <laughs> in real time people. and then like, <laughs> should we just skip to book four? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And we do have like these new characters, um, like Krantz, the Mariner, and... But he ran away again. <laughs> yeah. Or not again. I'm just like not sure how much I'm supposed to care about new characters that get introduced to us, you know? Because I'm like, okay, this Krantz guy is cool, but then are we going to go to like another city and meet some more people? And that is that just going to happen until we have like a million people that we're all supposed to keep straight in our heads? Well, and I saw, like I said, so many questions about people we haven't seen, like Evangeline and Julian and Maven and his mom, and Mm -hmm. you know, just. I want to know if... It, and the girls at court. Yeah, yeah. All the people from their class, and I don't know. It is fun, though. I agree. I think one of the best things is learning about different powers, but I'm also like, I need a list somewhere because I can't keep... How do you How do you do anything? Is it just that you notice what color someone's wearing, and then you're like, oh, I know their power is blah, blah, blah. Why don't they switch colors or hide their colors? No, I think you don't know. I think the colors were only their family. Like, just, that was their, yeah, their but house. Yeah, the, talents basically run in the house because they're all passed down from the dad right like Um, like evangeline's whole family are the metal mover people and cal's whole family is the fire people except the mom oh i didn't think it was i didn't think your gift was determined by your house i thought it was just like completely random i got the impression that it was determined by your house and that's why they were trying to pass or not like determined determined but like nine times out of ten it was passed by the father i thought we read that somewhere because um her fake family her fake family was how they were like oh your dad had this power your mom had this power so like lightning's a potential oh and that's what made yours okay so it's hereditary got it yeah and it seems like it's more often than not, passed down from the father's side. I wonder if we'll meet, like, a family of new bloods who all have the same new blood power. But that doesn't make sense, because Shade has this has a power, too, and it's not the same as Mare's. That's what I'm... New bloods are so different, though. They're, yeah, like, a whole okay. different ballgame, and I don't... I don't know. They're the wild cards. I'm so... That's... Yeah, I'm really curious how they work. <laughs> <laughs> why, why they are. Um, okay. Did you do any research this week? I did a little bit. With all these weird topics we have going on. So I was sort of like, again, going back to like Cal's ability to tinker with stuff and how he could just like fly a plane. <laughs> but can't swim. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking again, I think we've talked about this before, how sometimes you're reading a book and they just like randomly like learn the skill that they need to save the day. Yeah. You know? 
So I was looking into how hard is it to fly a plane (laughs) (laughs) if you have no instruction. (laughs) Or specifically, I was looking into, like, that's where it started. I was like, okay, so Cal can just randomly, like, fly planes and it's all good and we all trust him and because that's part of your king training and you like to tinker. I don't know. I sort of was like, this is kind of far-fetched, but all right. Skeptical. I mean, he can ride a motorcycle pretty well. Yeah, but I feel like those are two different things. Last I checked. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe if he'd been, like, a naval person, but I got the sense that he wasn't... I don't know. Anyways, I was sort of like, that's pretty cool. And then I was like, I wonder how hard it is if you have just a general understanding of, like, flight, if it would be something you could figure out. Like, if you had to land a plane in an emergency landing. Yeah. So I was reading, like, what would happen if the pilot and co-pilot, something happened to them, and you had to land the plane in an emergency. Like, could you do it? Ooh, okay. (laughs) Because I guess that happens in, like, movies a lot. Sure. (laughs) Or at least... In some movies, I feel like that's a very, like, movie thing. Yeah, Um, So I was reading a bunch of articles about people trying to research if it's possible or not. (laughs) And basically, there's definitely mixed reviews. Um, (laughs) But this one article I was reading, this lady was talking about how she called a flight instructor. And he was talking about how... When you learn to drive a car, oh, this this lady was funny. She was like, basically, I'm a terrible driver because I learned to drive cars from someone who was a terrible driver. It's not because I'm a woman. It's not because, you know, it's just yeah. because I learned from a bad person, a bad instructor. But I feel like I could fly a plane because there's fewer things to hit and blah, blah, blah. I was like, interesting, <laughs> interesting uh, conclusion you drew there. But yes. her instructor, the first instructor she talked to was talking about when we learn to drive, even if we haven't actually driven a car before we've spent so much time sitting in a car that we're so much more familiar with it and the environment than we are in a plane in general but especially a cockpit so and that's true like I, I mean I was sitting in the front seat of the car for years before I that's got behind true. the wheel you know it's familiar at least yeah and so there's like a certain level of comfort there and it's also funny so James took me out to drive a manual car the other day because I've never okay. learned how and he's like a big car guy but he when he was little before he learned to drive his mom told me that he would like you know when like two-year-olds like pretend to drive cars or whatever but he would like shift gears while pretending to do that as like a little kid wow. so he like was just very aware of these things I'm like what's a gear <laughs> yeah I sat in the car and read the whole time so I wasn't paying attention to anything yeah I was like a big daydreamer out the window mm-hmm. <laughs> um but anyways and then the other thing that he was saying was even if you were able to get in contact with someone on the ground it's really hard to teach someone to fly a plane from the ground in part because there are so many different knobs and levers and buttons and switches. And also Hmm. because each plane is a little bit different. So you'd like need to find someone who had flown or who was familiar with the exact plane you were flying. And a lot of them are sensitive to the touch. And some of, so much of it is timing, either doing something, not doing something at the wrong time or doing things at the exact right time. So this guy was just very like, uh, no, don't try to do this at home folks. (laughs) Okay. But this other guy um, from Australia sort of believed that if you were driving a small, like, six-seater plane, not a commercial jet, and you radioed for help immediately, you might, under the right situation, be able to bumpily land a plane without killing everyone on it. So that was, like, the most optimistic conclusion. I, you, you, you could maybe not kill everybody. Oh, so like someone could walk you through it if you like were close enough to like a command, or like you yep. were able to talk to someone yeah. somewhere. But and a lot of people say, oh, okay. or a lot of these articles, there's randomly a lot of articles about this, said you'd be like SOL if the pilot and the co-pilot both were 
unable to do anything in the middle of takeoff or in the middle of landing, but if that had already hit autopilot and you could radio someone, they could maybe talk you through it and there's like a chance that you won't kill everybody. They didn't say you won't kill anybody. They said, there's a chance you won't kill everybody. Oh no. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. That's not really reassuring at all. Luckily, this doesn't happen very often. Just in movies and and in books. (laughs) And movies, it happens a lot. And it always ends well. Yes. It usually ends well. So, um, yeah. I mentioned before, there's like a lot of knobs and switches and stuff, and it can be kind of confusing to see what the controls are. But if you had to fly a plane, there are six that are more important than all the others. So if you understood what an altimeter, an airspeed indicator, the artificial horizon, the directional indicator, the turn coordinator, and the vertical speed indicator were, that'll be like the majority of flying. You said altimeter, and I immediately heard alethiometer from the Golden Compass, and then I just stopped listening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the funny thing is, I I told you about how I flew a plane. Um, I did like an introductory flight lesson when James proposed to me, but my pilot instructor was so nervous that he like didn't give me much instruction. So I'm reading this stuff, and I'm like, I didn't know half of these things when I was flying a plane. Was your instructor nervous about giving you instruction, or was he nervous because he knew James was going to propose? Oh, sorry, he was nervous because of James. Pro- he oh, he had never okay. been part of a proposal before. <laughs> I was, was like, if though. your flight instructor's nervous, <laughs> you've got a problem. No, I think he was overconfident about the flight thing. He was like, so we're just going to go up there, and I'll like tell you while we're in the air. And then he like, I kept being like, so what should I be doing now? Or like, you know, 10 minutes and he's like, oh, by the way, you want like this line to be between these two lines or something on this. Like, I didn't even know. I was like all over the place. But then I found out when James proposed that he'd been really nervous and the way back was a lot smoother. (laughs) That's like the worst when you have a shitty navigator and you're driving somewhere and and like in two seconds they're like, oh, turn right right here. You're just like, oh my God, a little warning would have been nice. James is the worst navigator, but he's luckily a good driver. So that's how we split things up. But he also doesn't, I've recently learned this, like in the last couple of weeks, really sunk in. He doesn't, we put the map up on the mm-hmm. phone and he doesn't pay any attention to it. So I have to watch the phone to then also navigate for him. <laughs> oh my gosh. But I did read, okay, this is one good story. There was a flight attendant who was working a TUI fly flight, which I don't know what that airline is. I was going to say, what is that? (laughs) It's some European airline. She was flying from Hanover, Germany to Mallorca, Spain. And she helped land a Boeing 747 with 195 people on board when the co-pilot passed out. (gasps) Why did the co-pilot pass out? So he went to the bathroom and wasn't feeling very well and, like, had to lie down in the front galley. So they called for a doctor on board the aircraft, and they came up and they diagnosed the co-pilot as having extremely low blood pressure. Ooh. Um, so the co-pilot was still conscious before they had to land, but the pilot was like, I'm just going to land the plane without you. You chill out yeah. back there. And he called forward a flight attendant to help him. So she wasn't landing the, like, she was the co-pilot, essentially. So the regular main pilot was still landing, but she was helping perform all the pre-landing safety checks and, Okay, so he basically just needed someone to, like, go through the motions, but not necessarily do any of the really hard work. Yeah, and luckily, like, the main guy, it wasn't like the captain was down, it was like the co-captain was down. Um, But it was still kind of a big deal, I guess. And even this is, it was quoted, the airline spokesperson said this is extremely rare 
I would hope so. So, <laughs> so yeah. That but, makes me feel um, I'm flying on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. The co-pilot was fine. He went to a local hospital and there were no serious issues. But um, it, it was kind of a cool story because it was good to know that also just like the number of checks and balances sort of like reading these articles. It was like to even be in this situation, like A, B, C, mm-hmm. and D would all have to happen. So it's not very likely that you'll have to do this. Yeah. But just in yeah. case. Unless you're in a movie. Yeah. So if you're in a movie, brush up on those six controls just in case. So you can save everyone. Yeah. Or no, so you won't kill everyone. Exactly. You might kill some of the people, but You have like probably, a 90, 80 Maybe probably, chance. potentially not every single person. But yeah, that plane landed safely in Spain. Wow. And I didn't, again, didn't have a ton of time to do as much research as I intended, so there could be stories out there, but I couldn't find a story where both the pilot and co-pilot were unable to fly and someone random from the crew or plane had to come successfully landed and the plane, successfully yeah. landed the plane. So that's even more rare than the co-pilot having low blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really glad that there aren't a ton of stories like that out there because, I mean, otherwise I'd be... I don't even like when they when I sit in the exit row and they're like, are you willing to help out in case of an emergency? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yes. And it makes me want to go take flight lessons again because then I feel like I'd be even more prepared. I'll eventually learn those six things or whatever. Oh, my God. Like if the co-pilot went down, you'd be like pushing the flight attendants out of the way being like, I got this, guys. I got this. And it'd be just like a book where it's like, oh, I have a podcast. I got this. I spent 10 minutes talking about someone who did this once. Let me through. (laughs) Anyways, that's the random research I did. And it was uh, very tangentially related to what we read. But that was one of the that was one of the moments in this book where I was like, seriously, he can fly a plane. Mm -hmm. No problem. But but yeah, what did you research? Um, My research was a little tangential, too. So I I was really intrigued by the island underwater prison that Cal was being kept in. Yep. So I started researching Alcatraz, <laughs> and then I started, <laughs> yeah, then I started researching um, all the escapes from Alcatraz, and then it just turned into a list of very incredible stories of prison breaks. Okay, that's appropriate. There was a prison break. Yeah, there have been a couple, actually, so yeah. far. So here are three stories where um, criminals broke out of prison in very interesting ways. Okay. So the first one is the case of Mikel Vajor, who was a French man who was imprisoned in um, La Le- Sante. It's a it's a Parisian jail or prison, and okay. he was serving a really long sentence for attempted murder and armed robbery. When is this? Like this happened in okay, so in 1986. Okay, uh, the year after I was born. I was gonna say not not too long ago. Yeah, it, it wasn't. So I guess I just told this story to Chad and he was like laughing hysterically. So while he was imprisoned, his wife, whose name was Nadine Vajor, she was so determined to get her husband out of jail that she began taking helicopter flight lessons so he, so that she could help him escape from prison in a helicopter. All the more reason to take flight lessons in case your exactly. husband goes to jail. <laughs> it all comes back around. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So apparently there's a ton of cases of prisoners escaping via helicopter from prisons. There was like a whole list of them. Um, but in this case... How do you even hide uh, a helicopter? Like, I mean, like, well, you, I sort I of get that you like, get them out. 
that way, but then don't you get caught? It's like you just get there to you get to the rendezvous point at the exact same time, so that so so what happened was okay, Mikal Vajor um, <laughs> smuggled nectarines out of the prison kitchen mm-hmm. and painted them to look like grenades. So he basically had. <laughs> all this fruit on him that looks like bombs, <laughs> explosives. And he, like, forced his way past the guards, being like, get out of my way or I'll set these grenades off. And he he made it all the way up to the prison's roof. And on the prison's roof was waiting Nadine and the helicopter. with her helicopter. Oh, and she goodness. picked him up and took him away to a football field where they landed. And then they had a getaway car at this football field and they drove away. So were they ever caught? Yes. Okay. So they were discovered and arrested in southwestern France. I don't know how long they were on the run for, but um, they did eventually get picked up. I feel like, but like how, do you, how do you even plan something like this? Like part of what I don't, I don't understand know. about prison break is how do you pl- coordinate with someone on the outside? And then also, I don't think I could pretend a tangerine was a grenade convincingly enough. <laughs> oh my God, me either. I mean, you squeeze it too hard in your games. <laughs> Given away, like your cover's blown. Or like I'm so clumsy, I'd like drop them and be like, "Oh no, it's fine. <laughs> that the grenade won't go off." I don't know. Wow, Nectarines that is that is something. Yeah. Um. So the second instance, I'm was... still in shock about these tangerine grenades. I think that's like more shocking I, I, to me than the helicopter thing, especially now that too. I know everyone it's, does that. <laughs> it's so. It's just so bizarre. Um. Okay. Okay. The second other one escape. was. Um, the case of El Chapo, the drug trafficker. Okay, yep. So he, in 2001, he had his first prison break. So he was in a high security prison because he was the most powerful drug trafficker in the world. And in 2001, he um, colluded with a prison guard, got into a laundry cart, and rolled through the doors. Oh. And out the front door, essentially. I like how you said first prison break, though. How many has he had? Oh, yeah. A couple. <laughs> um, so then he was transported in the trunk of a car and driven away. And there were 78 people who were implicated in this escape plan. Wow. That's how many guards he bribed and how many, you know, people on the inside that he got to work for him. That's crazy. It took authorities 13 years to catch him. Wow. The second prison break um, occurred 13 years later. So pretty recently, and he stepped into a shower at the maximum security prison and crawled through a hole that people had been digging for him, and he vanished through a mile-long tunnel that, I guess they had completely decked out this tunnel with, like, they had lighting, they had ventilation, they had a modified motorcycle on tracks. Whoa. Yeah, so... I just don't understand... So who was digging this hole for him? People he was paying? I think I think he had just had a ton of people on the inside who were like just helping yeah. him. Yeah. But wow. That seems like that's yeah. got to take a while, doesn't it? I would think so because it was it was a 20 by 20 inch opening inside of the shower cell and then it went down more than 33 feet underground and then the passageway led to a tunnel that was about 5 feet 6 inches tall and and 28 inches wide. And then it stretched for a mile, more than a mile. So how long was he like in the shower before someone decided to go check? I know. I think they said 25 minutes. Wow. That's a long shower. I know. Wow. So then he, but then he was, he was finally captured again. Well, for now. 
for now. We'll I know. see what happens next. I mean, it'll only be a matter of time, it sounds like. I sometimes, like, hear stories like this, and it makes me want to be a criminal mastermind and, like, come up with creative ways. I guess that's maybe why it, someone is an author, too, because you can yeah. sort of come up with these stories, but... I'll just watch Shawshank Redemption and I'll be I think okay. I'm going to make James take helicopter lessons just in case I ever get <laughs> falsely accused of something and my worst nightmare comes true. But then they'll have evidence on this podcast. They'll know exactly what you're planning. Damn it. Don't post this episode. Just kidding. Uh, I'll delete all the evidence. <laughs> um, okay, the last one. This was just absolutely insane. I still can't get over the grenades. <laughs> <laughs> this might blow your mind even more. So this was um, a man who was imprisoned in South Korea. Um, okay, this is the case of Choi Gabak, and he was sentenced to 23 years behind bars because of a convicted robbery. Wow. I was about to say so, that's my whole life, but no, I'm older than 23. I forgot my own age. <laughs> <laughs> um, so during this time, he got really good at yoga. Like while in prison? Um, I it's unclear. I don't know if it was. It said this one says that he practiced yoga for twenty three years before being arrested, but okay. there's another case that said that he spent twenty three years in jail becoming good at yoga. Anyway, the yoga comes <laughs> into play and is important because he learned yoga so well and learned how to contort himself into so, such small positions that he managed to squeeze out of his cell food slot the rectangular food slot on his prison door. What? Yeah. How do you... How is that physically possible? Um, How do you fit through there? All right. So he was about 5 feet 5 inches tall and weighed 115 pounds. And the food tray slot was 18 inches wide and 6 inches tall. So he... They said that he put... He somehow got an ointment that he rubbed all over his skin to help him glide between the bars. And this happened in 2012. And he was able to slide through this food slot. And they said it. he, he did it in 34 seconds. Like, how do you get your head through that? I'm just Okay, I'm like holding up stuff. I know, I was trying to figure out what part of my head is six inches. I mean, my hips would no way fit through that. Like, done. I'd get to my hip. Uh, like, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Mine wouldn't either. I was starting with my head because my, I also I set a hospital record for the size of my head when I was born. I've got a big oh, head. God. Yeah, no, it's I, just so um, amazing. Well, I know I couldn't do that even if I could do that, but I also don't think I could ever do that. <laughs> they said that the um, so journalists began calling him the Korean Houdini. Appropriate. And I guess to keep guards off his trail after he slipped through the food slot. He um, used a technique that was in the Shawshank Redemption, and he covered pillows with blankets and to make guards think that he was still in bed. So he, like, created a fake body <laughs> in his cell so they would be thrown off his tracks. That's so funny. Um, That's like what kids do when they sneak out at night, too. <laughs> yeah, and then they said he was caught six days later and put in a cell with a much smaller food slot. <laughs> Give him five more years and... He'll get smaller. No. Wow. It's nuts. Yeah. So that was my research. Um, I'm just, okay, I can't even like do yoga at all. I'm not flexible. But even if there was a hole that could move to around my body and I didn't, I just stood there, my body couldn't fit through that hole. 18 <laughs> inches. I mean, that's, well, you know what it was making me think of was the Thai rescue, the Thai cave rescue mission. Because I think that um, the one 
uh, space that they had to fit through was about 18 inches. And they had to, like, take off all their equipment and, you know, go through single file one by one. And that was just – reading about that was just so – I was so horrified by that. I was, like, too scared to read it until I knew they were out. Oh, my gosh. I was following it, like, hour by hour. I was, like, following it enough to – no, but I, like, didn't want to know the details because I knew I would have nightmares about it. Oh, it was so awful. But, yeah, that's, like, the space that this guy fit through, essentially. Ugh. But, no, it was even smaller because six inches wide? What a, no, what? that's the part. The six inches wide, I'm trying to – my body is bigger than that. <laughs> yeah, same here. I could maybe throw a grenade, quote, unquote, through that. But that <laughs> – I could throw a nectar through that. Exactly. <laughs> I still, oh, I think that's gosh. my favorite story still. It's just so funny. Who even was like, was he like <laughs> looking at these and was like, you know what? This kind of looks like a grenade if I only had some paint. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm so curious what inspires some of these ideas. I wonder if he was just like looking at different fruits and being like the mango, no, the kiwi, mm, <laughs> let's go with the nectarine. I really need a grenade. Oh, you know what? This will do just as well. <laughs> Okay, well, do we want to keep reading the book? I mean, I still want to know what happens. I just want it to, like, start happening. (laughs) Yes, I am totally with you. And I'm kind of curious how much, because it is a sequel, like, I do feel like there had to be enough of this is what happened before. Maybe we are starting to get to a point where it's going to pick up. Yeah. Um, Here's hoping. We'll see how the rest of this book goes. Um, But in the meantime, I have a very special dad joke for you. Ooh, I'm so excited. So this joke was submitted to us by a fan. (gasps) Awesome. Stephanie sent us a really great message, and she had a really great dad joke for us. So all credit goes to Stephanie. You rock, Stephanie. Okay. Oh, and this actually kind of ties into islands. Okay, perfect. Not prison islands, (laughs) but islands. Okay, what do islands and the letter T have in common? Uh, They're both in a Long Island iced tea. Ooh, I like where your head's at, but no. (laughs) That's the first thing that came to mind. What is it? What's the answer? Um, the answer is they're both in the middle of water. The letter T is in the middle of water. The letter. Wait, I don't get it. So it's in the middle of the word water. Oh, I get <laughs> it's it. It's like a good riddle. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I feel really dumb. I was like, I don't get it. What does that mean? Oh, that is a good one. So thank you, Stephanie, for that. Ah, oh, you got me. Good one, Stephanie. Um, if anyone out there has another dad joke they want to share with us, um, you can email us at mndktalkya at gmail.com. We will use your dad joke and we will give you credit. We will. And we like it because we've used all our best ones already. Or at least I've yeah. used all my best ones already. <laughs> then we don't have to think of one for that week. Exactly. If you want to talk to us about other stuff, you can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at mnktalkya and we would love if you could write um a review or do a rating on itunes if you're feeling up to it um we would really appreciate it okay let's finish the rest of glass what's it called again (laughs) glass sword let's finish the rest of glass sword and we will talk to you next week that is i'm just gonna have one more side comment I don't know what the glass sword means yet. Red Queen, I got the title. I'm curious when glass sword will make sense to me. You know, I didn't even think about that. Well, I didn't really until we were just talking about the title specifically, but now now I'm curious. As of now. Me too. <laughs> we, we haven't seen any glass swords yet, so I'm sure it'll, one will make an appearance. Yeah, we got a few hundred pages to go. Okay, on that note... <laughs>
Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.